Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Ainsley Huber Chats With, the, the podcast about disability for, with three reasons for the podcast, breaking down stereotypes, uh, removing invisible uh, removing invisible barriers, I can't talk today, and also to highlight some of the awesome stuff that people with disabilities are doing to help reduce, uh, start again, to help break down the idea that we're two-dimensional people. And this week I have with me Trisha Maloney. And hi, Trisha, could you please introduce yourself and tell everybody uh, about yourself and, and what you do? Hi, thanks, Ainsley, and thanks for having me talk to you today. I'm really excited about this. Um, so I'm Trisha Maloney. I'm 66 years old, so I'm sort of one of the older members of the disability community. Um, I enjoy what I do, so I'm going to keep doing it. But I'm really excited that there's so many great younger people coming on who can take over from me, um, not necessarily learn from me. I learn as much from them as they learn from me. So at the moment, I'm president of Women with Disabilities Australia, as well as being a director at Western Health and a director at Scope Australia. I see my role as bringing a gender lens to the disability community and a disability lens everywhere else. And by that, I mean that the disability community often is based around the male um, model of disability. So um, I suppose if you look at the NDIS, for example, only 37% of participants in the NDIS are female. And people say, yes, but there's not as many women with disabilities as there are men. I know many more women with disabilities than I know men. And I think that part of it is the diagnostic tools and the way anthropologically women are expected to be home and be quiet and men are expected to be out in the community. And by bringing a disability lens everywhere else, I think that um, the slogan I use is, if you're funded to provide services, that means to everybody, not just the easy ones. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it may be a bit more difficult to provide services to people with disabilities, but actually it might be just the assumption that it's difficult that is the problem. Mm -hmm. So I work as a consultant so um, I often say I do anything that's legal for money, um, but I also have to have, has to be within my ethical framework. So I'm very, very fortunate. I work for those that I like to work with. Um, I only work for organisations who share my values or who I can see are making a genuine effort to change. And I'm happy to, to work in the change management space as well. Like you, I studied anthropology at university. Um, but I did that as an adult because I was denied access to university as a young person um, because all the career advice I got said, you won't be able to do it. And I wasn't smart enough back then to be able to say, yes, I can. Um, and don't forget, I was born in another era. So I was born in the 50s and things were very different. Um, I'm very hopeful for the future because I think these exciting things happen. And I was just listening to Kamala Harris on the television uh, talking about how she's got where she is because she has stood on the, on the shoulders of others. And that's how I see my role. It's not about me. It's about continuing the work of all those leaders with disabilities who have come before us. Mm -hmm. I hope that's enough of a, 
an introduction to me. <laughs> wow, that is, that's a huge introduction. So, um, yeah, I've, on my podcast so far, I've spoken to, um, yeah, people, I guess, in my generation and, and younger. Um, it's funny saying that, that there's actually younger generations of myself now. So uh, it's and, and chatting to you, um, it's been interesting just to get an insight into yeah, with why, how things are the way they are now and even where they've come from. Like I was remember chatting to you at one point about Crip Camp, because, uh, which is on Netflix. And I, until I watched Crip Camp, uh, I took for granted, I guess, I guess I took for granted where things were currently now because I didn't know any of that kind of thing existed all the way back into the 60s. Um, so do you... Are you able to speak a little bit about like the history that you're aware of prior to you, I guess? Because it's it's an interesting thing to see how far it goes. And and I, I suppose I've been quite privileged because my parents were told, put this one in a home, go away and have more children. I had eight more after me, but um, they didn't put me in a home, which was the accepted thing to do. And so I was always mainstreamed. Um, I wasn't brought up. As a disabled person, I was brought up just to be um, with the same expectations as everybody else. And, and I should say that I had polio. So um, I contracted polio at the age of four months. So I've always had a disability. And it's um, and, and thinking back, yes, it did impact on, on my life in that there were things I wasn't allowed to do that everybody else was, um, or not because my family stopped me, but because society did. And I'm talking about work here. But I went to the same schools as everybody else. And it wasn't really until I started working for police in the early 1990s. Um, so I'd worked other places before that. I'd worked in banks and I'd worked in the public sector um, and always just did what I, what I had to do and just slowly worked my way. I was more involved in breaking down the gender barriers, if you like. So I worked to get... Uh, women, um, we were only allowed to be clerical assistants back in my day. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I sort of went Sister Anna carrying the banner on that and sort of demanded that we'd be allowed to become clerks as well. Um, and I did, but it was only after I went to university that I was able to, allowed, I was allowed to sit for the clerks exam, which is just ridiculous. Um, so it wasn't really till I was in, in the 90s when I was working for police and they said to me, um, will you be our disability liaison officer? And I said, well, I know nothing about that. And uh, a senior police officer said to me, but you've got one. And I went, oh, okay. And I suppose that's the mythology with disabilities. If you've got one, you must know all about it. Mm -hmm. I hadn't experienced the disadvantage side of it. Well, I had, but I went round things rather than, rather than worry about it, I just live my life. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that was a really, I suppose, my big eye-opener that they asked me to support all the people who worked for Victoria Police who had a disability. And I didn't know there was anybody else who worked for, for Victoria Police who had a disability. Mm -hmm. And I started finding people with cognitive impairments and mental illness who were working there. And it was a time when... Um, the government of the day was stripping jobs from the public service and police asked me would I support those who had a disability to keep their jobs and I found out all sorts of things so I did a bit of research and started realizing that 
not everybody had had the same advantages as me. And that's what got me started. Um, and it wasn't until I left work in 2000, so um, I got post-polio syndrome, uh, my, uh, my physical capacity deteriorated and I could no longer do my job. And we, we took the decision. Victoria Police was fantastic in trying to help me keep my job, but I just couldn't do it. So I took two years off and then I became a stand-up comedian, as you do. And I, one of the gigs I did was at Women with Disabilities Victoria. And I just went, oh, this is my place. This is where I belong. Uh, this is home for me. And so I took it over, as you do. Um, and that was where my knowledge of the history of uh, what other people had done so I'm a latecomer right. to the movement. So it wasn't until about 2003 that I really got involved in the political movement, if you're right, if you like. And, and once I did that, I took it on with, with um, great gusto and I learned about so many fabulous people who, who had done things like tie themselves to buses and trams and, and, you know, sort of block traffic. And I just thought, wow, what wonderful people. Uh, which I had been there because I do love a good demonstration. Um, but I just wished I had have been there, um, but I was too busy working. Right? Mm -hmm. I, I was blind to the barriers that others faced. Mm -hmm. um, and by that time too, I was in um, on calipers and crutches, whereas before that I had a disability, but it, I didn't use AIDS um, I did as a child and then gave them up and took them back. And I took them back um, with great glee because it made my so, my life so much easier to use calipers and crutches than try and struggle without them. So um, it actually gave me a, a visible presence in the disability world. So I started to see, like, the physical barriers, which is fine, but it was more the um, ableist societal barriers that I really started to notice more mm. and I'll just name a couple of people who were really instrumental in changing my thinking and one of them's Karen Howe of course you know who's um, you know was the CEO of Women with Disabilities Victoria who is still very active but um, is has retired from there now. Um, Leslie Hall who uh, was just brilliant who was instrumental in uh, along with her brother Frank in getting up the Convention of the Rights of People with Disabilities, um, did some really strong work there. Um, and Leslie used to ring me up to tell me I was wrong and she was always right, mm -hmm. right? Because, uh, you know, sort of she had a brilliant mind and we lost the star when we lost her. Um, Stella Young was another one, mm -hmm. you know, not of my generation, you know, sort of a good 30 years younger than me but so smart. Mm. And we used to say we'd slot, we had swapped lives because she was a, an activist who became a comedian. I was a comedian who became an activist. Wow. It's, yeah, but it's interesting because we both continued, like I, I still use comedy when I speak to people because it's how I do it, mm -hmm. and she used to still use activism as the basis for her comedy. So it's an interesting thing, but we used to joke about that. And we used to disagree all the time too, you know, sort of particularly around the, the use of language, you know, sort of 
describing each other, you know, the, the right to describe ourselves. And that was good. Um, who else was there from that, that era? There was just so many that um, Colleen Plunkett, who's a really good friend of mine, who lives, who has cerebral palsy and who lives in a small town um, in rural Victoria and who is so smart and she taught me so much about the disability community and the gendered nature of disadvantage. Um, so the compounding nature of disadvantage, which we find. Um, and Jodie Barney, um, who's an Aboriginal woman with a disability who lives in rural Victoria, who taught me so much, uh, again, about the intersectionality. But there's been so many of them, you know, sort of it's over time. I mean, Samantha Jenkinson, Christina Ryan, um, Carolyn Fromada. There's, there's, there's so many women who are so smart and who just go, they, they blow my mind. They really do because they've been doing this for 20, well, I've been doing it for 20 years now, but for 30 and 40 years. And yeah. I suppose it was the 80s was the big time of change. So I've met so many people who had polio who were institutionalised because they had polio. And the disability isn't the polio, it's the institutionalisation. Um, and it's one Sorry. of the things that I worry about. Sorry, can you go back to that? So the disability, so it's the institutionalisation that's the disability. Absolutely. It's worse. Yeah. The institutionalisation is much worse than the physical or psychological or cognitive impairment. Mm -hmm. It's the institutionalisation where um, it changes your ability to participate in life. Segregation is another one that does that. So the segregation of work and the segregation of schooling, I think, are the two evils that we still need to combat in Australia. I mean, I don't, don't think that by that I mean that we have to abolish all of those um, opportunities for people who might need therapy, for example. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have a dream about schools, which is that we have campuses. So we have a campus for um, three, three schools on the one campus. So we'll have... Um, children with disabilities and primary school children and secondary school children on the same campus um, intermingling. Because I think one of the problems we have is that we have segregated schooling that ends when you're 18. And then after that, there is nowhere to go. Right. There is no opportunity to, um, to mix with society. So if we have integrated schooling, so, and I've had this conversation with people that I went to school with, um, did you see me as the kid with a disability? And they've all gone, no, we hadn't even thought of that. Mm -hmm. And I've had conversation with my sisters who, who work in the schools and my nieces and talked to them about um, the integration and how that's managed. Mm -hmm. And one who was a special school teacher works only in the, in the integrated sector because she said there's so much more value to it. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I've spoken to people who... who um, work in the specialist schools thing and they say well you know I, and I talk about what about s s preparing people for work and they say oh we do that we do that you know what do you do I teach them to cook well it's not what I see as preparation for work yeah it me. Now, I, know, I know there are good ones I know there are mm. really good ones but there's some really shocking ones too. so when I guess this is um I get a part of my privilege because I, I went m mainstream primary high school so 
Uh, and that wasn't segregated. So when you talk about segregated schools now, like in like the modern era, are you talking about? Are you talking about um, what I hear people bandied the term around as special schools? Is that what you yeah. mean? And now that yeah, that's exactly right. And now they call okay. them specialist schools. Okay. So they've taken. They think by changing the name from special schools to specialist schools that that has changed it. And I mean, I've been, I've visited them. I don't approve. Okay. Um, yeah. And look, to be quite honest, a lot of that is around autism. Okay. Um, so what people do is they get a diagnosis of autism. They go, "Oh, special school," and I think, "Oh no, let's let's look at let's look at spending that money that we're spending on specialist schools on providing um, the supports people need in the mainstream." Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you, you know, for you and I, I, I don't know about you, I didn't need any. I didn't get any specialist support at all or, yeah. or assistance. But I just I was just another kid at school. Yeah, I had I had integration aids and it's been really interesting, like even just talking like hearing this and excuse my dog in the background. I'm sure you'll start barking in the moment. Excuse my husband in the background before. <laughs> yeah, so um but yeah, so like I had integration aids. That's what they were called back then. They're not called integration aids now. I'm not sure. I can't remember what the term is that they call, but Back then, it was interesting because, like, yeah, sure, there were there were some classes in which they helped me to do what others were doing. It was, um, for example, metalwork, woodwork, um, textiles. Um, but yeah, there was other things as well. There were there were later on in life, and I've spoken to about this before, but it's kind of just jelling now talking to you about integration aids. There was other um, subjects that I wanted to do, like, for example, I wanted to do photography. And this was like in year 12 and I was flat out told, no, you're not going to do photography because that's not going to help you get a job because that's like, like what you were saying earlier, they had an idea of, well, I had my life set out for me and what I was going to do. So, I mean, and that, in that sense, they're not being integration aids at all because they're not helping you integrate. They're helping you integrate into a society that they think that you need to fit into rather yes. than the society fitting around you. Yeah, and yeah. so we didn't have that in my day. There was no such thing. Um, the, 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 there was back in those days, back in the olden days when I was young, we had two streams. There was the commercial and the academic stream when I was at secondary school. I went to an all-girls school, so that was still segregated, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had... Uh, well, I wasn't given a choice. I was told that I would, wasn't allowed to do the academic stream, that I had to do the commercial sc- screens, the commercial stream because um, I wanted to teach. And I was told flat out, no, you won't because you have a disability. We can't have somebody like you as a teacher. <laughs> right? So that was, that was the discussion. And in those days, the academic stream was, was the stream that what you use to get into university. So, of course, there was no opportunity for me to do that. And I was also told that I wouldn't be able to go to university anyway because I had a disability, I wouldn't be able to cope. Um, and, year, and the commercial stream ended at year 11. So there was no opportunity to do anything. And, I mean, it is a while ago, and, and I left school at 16, which was very common in my era. And what I did was I joined a bank. So, which was which was fairly common, um, and so there wasn't any integration aid. There wasn't any assistance with anything. 
Um, so, and I don't know that I actually needed anything. Um, so there wasn't any such thing as woodwork and metalwork and photography. There was um, maths and English, French. Oh, we did have sewing. And it's really interesting that all of my sisters and I are all useless at sewing. We all failed that. So, um, <laughs> and they went to separate schools. Now, it's, that's an interesting thing too. All of my family except me went to the same school, right? They all went to Aquinas, which was, you know, five kilometres from home. Mm -hmm. but it was the closest, cheapest Catholic school because I'm one of ten, so which means, mm -hmm. you know, sort of you didn't go too far afield, but we all got private education. And I went to Marta Christi, which was in Belgrave, which was, you know, 20 kilometres away. And everybody thinks that that's because I had a disability, but it was because the girls' part wasn't built at Aquinas. In that. So it was just that I was too old to go to the same school as the rest of my family because the school was built after I'd started secondary school. Mm -hmm. But we didn't have anything fancy, you know. There was there was no opportunity to do anything other than um, the traditional subjects. And because it was a, a small school, there wasn't any choice of subjects. I went back to a forty year reunion. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? A forty year <laughs> no, it's a fifty year reunion. If I think about it, anyway, it was a long time. It must have been a fifty year reunion. And um, I went back in this place now has music rooms and it has science labs and it's got a lift, which would, would have been useful in my day. Mm -hmm. And it's got all of these things that, you know, it's really quite uh, an upmarket school now, but it wasn't in my day. Mm -hmm. um, so, there you go. so there wasn't any such thing as integration aids. If right. you didn't fit into the mainstream, you went to a special school. Um, and, they, and many people with disabilities went to Urella. Yes. Mm -hmm. And many got quite a good education at Urella. I'm just not convinced that, that is the special schools today are actually preparing people for the real world. Right. And there's also, you know, there's also this funneling from the specialist schools into what I call legalised slave labour, which is the um, Australian Disability Enterprises, you know, where people um, are paid $2.48 an hour or $3.48 an hour Um is that what, and we're married. Sorry, sorry, I was just going to ask, is that what I would know as um, growing up as sheltered workshops? Yes, okay. absolutely. Okay. So this is, again, what they do is they change the name thinking that, well, that makes it all right because oh. they've changed the name so it's not so bad anymore. Yeah. But it's exactly the same thing. They've just changed the name. And, and look, I know so many people. I've been to sheltered, sheltered workshops, the ADEs, and the people who are in there are no different to me. It's just that they were funneled there from the specialist schools and that's the expectation. And it's about the low expectations of people with disabilities. And then they don't have expectations high of themselves, I'm assuming. Well, and it's also, too, that they're told, no, this is where you should be. And I'll tell the story of somebody I knew, who I won't name, but um, who is a lawyer. But back in the day... Um, she was funneled from a special school into a sheltered workshop and said to them, this is, I can't do this, this is terrible. And they said, well, this is what the expectation of you is. There is no other choice, no other option for you. And then she met a guy who said to her, what the hell are you doing there? And he helped her um, get, he helped her escape, essentially, to get in, he helped her get into uni. Mm -hmm. And she's now a lawyer, you know. And you sort of think, who else is stuck in there? 
And yes. I've had conversations, and the people who run sheltered workshops aren't bad people, mm. right? They think they're doing the right thing. And I had the conversation with one, and I said, um, so how are you transitioning people out of here into the mainstream? And he looked at me and he said, but if I do that, I'll lose my best workers. <laughs> wow, that's a worry, isn't it? So yeah. I think, you know, the, the, we, we're still not there. I mean, we've come a long way since, the, since when I was at school and when I started work. I'll tell you a story about, you know, sort of expectation. Uh, my dad was in the Navy. My older brother's in the Navy. One of my younger brothers was in the Naval Reserve. Um, so I went to join the Navy course I went to join the Navy um, mm -hmm. and with my best friend and so the two of us rock up to join the Navy and they looked at me and they looked at her and they said well we'll take you but we're not taking her meaning me and she said well if you're not if you're not going to take her I'm not going in either which was fine but then she joined the convent as a nun and I went see I'm not doing that so it was, like, <laughs> it was sort of like from the sublime to the ridiculous so it was quite quite amusing really yeah 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 it's such a it's interesting way like, to think that it's just the change of name that, like I, I and this is my privilege and just being naive I actually thought yeah things had actually changed but yeah wow I mean they're not so bad as they used to be okay I think. right I worried but I think I still don't think they're any good um I I can't see how you can justify paying somebody a small amount. And what they say is, if we pay them more, they will lose their pensions. <laughs> well, that'd be great, yes. you know. Um, who wants to live in poverty for the rest of their lives? Uh, one of the problems we have is that families think they're safer in yeah. the sheltered work. Mm -hmm. And the evidence, that the literature tells us that people who are segregated from society are more likely to suffer abuse mm -hmm. um, than those who are um, out in society. Um, actually, it's funny because there was a, years ago, there was um, this disability organisation built a block of flats and they were all single bedroom and there was something like 50 flats in this block of flats and, and they said they have for people with cognitive impairments or intellectual disabilities. So I wrote to them and said, you know, are you only having it for people with intellectual disabilities because the literature clearly states that that's quite dangerous? And they wrote back to me and they said, it's okay. The people who will be living in these units can't read the evidence, so it's fine. And it's like, what? So, you know, wow. but I, I don't know that it actually got built, but I sort of, it worries me that um, people aren't looking to what's happened in the past. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've got to learn from the past. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, we know that, well, the Royal Commission, the Disability Royal Commission is showing us that how dangerous it is, it is not, to, um, not to, to listen to or respect people with disabilities mm. and respect our knowledge. And there's so many people with disabilities who are working for the betterment of others, mm -hmm. you know, sort of yeah. most people who are activists. And I count myself a one, amongst one of those. Yeah. We're not doing it for us. No. Right? Because we're okay. Yeah. At least I'm okay. Um, you know, I, I'm in a privileged position. You know, I've got a, a safe place to live. I've got um, I've got a, an income that supports me well. Uh, I live in a on a golf course, so I've got somewhere to live. I'm quite happy in lockdown, thank you. 
uh, discovered I might be a closet introvert, you know, which is interesting. Mm. But there are so many others who really are struggling. Yeah. And, and that's it. Like, and it's amazing, like, to see from the commission how much is, how much stuff is coming out. But like, yeah, I've also had said to me because I only started doing, I guess, work in the disability area. Um, yeah, the last couple of years um, that no one wants to hear, you know, just about you. And it's like, well, I didn't start just because of me. I started it because I saw that things that were, that, I, that were things that were happening to me were also happening to other people. And so I thought, well, you know, that's happening to other people and it's just not on. So, yeah, it's just, and that's, it's interesting because like if it's people that tell us, it's not about you. They're not seeing. They're they're just not. They're, it's because they haven't seen what's going on elsewhere. And and look, one of the things I find. So I, I do a bit of work in the family violence sector. Mm-hmm. Um, so I support women who are leaving violence um, to find the supports they need to be able to meet. And by that I mean women with disabilities, because um, one of the problems we have is that. Um, men who stay with women with disabilities are counted as heroes, right? Mm. Oh, my God, you're a good bloke. You're staying with that woman with a disability. And sort of Noel gets that a fair bit, but um, Mm. in his case he reckons it's justified, but it's not because of a disability. It's because I'm a pain to live with, which is (laughs) different. Um, But that's a joke. (laughs) But the thing is I started getting involved in family violence because women kept disclosing to me. If they would be on a train and somebody would tell me the the horrific stuff that was happening to them, and I thought, well, I've got to do something about this. So Mm. one of the things we did, and and this was when I was convener of Women with Disabilities back in the early 2000s, was we, we managed to get women with disabilities written into the legislation. So paid and unpaid carers can be prosecuted under the Family Violence Protection Act. That's the only place it happens, you know. So, um, otherwise, you've got to go through this convoluted um, system where they say the evidence isn't there, you know, or women with disabilities tell lies. Mm. Um, they lie about the abuse that happens to them. And we know that, that, that it doesn't, mm. just that we're not believed yeah. or, or nobody's listening to us. And I can tell you that I can go into a room with a family violence counsellor and have the person with a disability say, no, nothing's happening, everything's fine, everything's fine. As soon as they leave the room, they disclose to me because I'm a trusted person because Mm. I also have a disability. Yeah. I don't think I should be trusted because I have a disability, but there's just a level of understanding. What you're saying, um, you know, our experience Mm. um, can can help the discourse, if you like, or or, or, uh, improve the conversation so Mm. that we are included in the conversation. Yeah, um, and it's one of the things is we're often not listened to. We're not seen as the experts. Mm-hmm. Somebody else is always the expert, you yeah. know, whether it's our families or our partners or the person we're with. I travel a lot, and if I don't travel with Noel, I travel with my best friend, and she's often assumed to be my carer, right? Yes. Because surely I wouldn't have friends. Good lord, you know, yeah. with Noel, he must be my carer. I wouldn't have a. I wouldn't have a partner, surely, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because we're asexual, yeah. unloved and unlovable, um, you know, sort of. And he's sort of, people have sort of said, you know, oh, gee, you're a good bloke, you know, staying with a woman with a disability. And it's one of the reasons that we're not believed. Yeah. You know, because surely 
he wouldn't do something like that. No, and like I, my partner's had that said to him before as well. So, yeah, which is, it's kind of like to me, it, it was um, considering how far we seem to have come, it was like a bit, yeah, astounding to hear that. Only just a little bit. But yeah, no, it was just, yeah, like, yeah, I think how far we've come, like, you know, with all the accessibility stuff and it's just, a, it's just, it's kind of, it's just, I can't explain it, but just, yeah, the fact that we've still got so far to go, it's just. Well, I, back, in the, back yeah. in, the, in the early 2000s, I was working on the Tram 109 project, which mm -hmm. was to get accessible trams and accessible tram stops. Um, and that, that was by 20, 2022 all the tram stops were supposed to be accessible and all the trams were supposed to be accessible. Well, as you know, they're not. Mm -hmm. um, and even to the point where they have accessible trams, so low-floor trams, but they don't necessarily run on the places where you have the low-floor, the, the, the accessible tram stops. So even if you can get on an accessible tram, I've actually had it happen to me where I got on an accessible tram and an accessible tram stop, but I couldn't get off it because... Further and further down. So near me, there's a there's a tram stop in in the Burwood Highway. There's yeah. a great tram stop there, but they don't run the low floor trams on that line. So I could catch that into the city if it was low floor. So right. instead, I have to park my car everywhere, which is quite inconvenient to be to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, so there's a whole lot of things, and certainly buildings. We're still building. Um, buildings that aren't accessible and so when you pick it up they say oh yeah but unnecessary hardship excuse me what about the unnecessary hardship to me um to not be able to get into a building so what do you mean by so i, I get the unnecessary hardship to you but what are they saying about unnecessary hardship it'd, it'd be too too costly so it's reasonable adjustment you know, ah, so yes. too costly us to do this we don't have the room to put a ramp in and and also people have some really bad assumptions about what accessibility is so <laughs> I've used and crutches and I, I was invited to a business breakfast so I thought yeah I'll go to that but I better ring first and see what what accessible means for them mm -hmm. and they said it's okay it's on the ground floor it'll be it'll be fine so I rock up and of course there's two steps in the front door. Hmm, yeah. Okay. I can manage that because I'm on crutches, but if I was in my chair, I wouldn't be able to. Mm -hmm. And I I I sometimes use a chair depending on um, my level of, of exhaustion, you know, so calipers and crutches most of the time. But I sh it's dangerous for me to use steps without a handrail. Mm -hmm. Right. So for start, so I shouldn't do that. So then when I get in there, I said, and where's the accessible toilet? And they went, the what? <laughs> I said the accessible toilet and they said oh we haven't got one and I said well you can't really call this an accessible venue if you don't have an accessible toilet and I said well I'll tell you what if I need because it was a three-hour meeting mm -hmm. I said if I need to go to the loo I'll tell you when I'm going and then if I'm not out in an hour you can come and pull me off the toilet yeah and they were horrified and I said well that's what you're expecting you know mm -hmm. I, I need I can't just it's not just a matter of getting up and going no. So it's it's really quite interesting. And and you know, sort of um I I tend to notice things more now. Yes, same here. Um, so, you know, like lighting or um something on the footpath in the way. So if, if my vision impaired friends will trip over it, or um announcements without um 
on like if you're catching a train, there'll be an announcement, but unless it's written as well, mm-hmm. um, how do my deaf friends know that the plant that the the platform has changed from number one to number seven. Yes, that's something I, mean, I never even thought of myself. Yeah, so, and that's the fascinating thing about accessibility is that it's even though like it's not so it's not just a hard and fast rule. I mean, it is, but it isn't because it's it's such a like you know yeah it's like for you and me accessibility is one thing, but for, yeah, like you said, for someone who's deaf, it's another thing. So. It, there's just so many layers to it, yeah. And, or if you have a cognitive impairment, I mean, the accessibility of information. Right. You know, everything, so the accessibility of websites, the accessibility of information, the accessibility of the built environment. Yes. There's so many layers. And I suppose that, you know, sort of takes me to the diversity of disability, you mm-hmm. know. So what is disability? And um, it's different for every person. Yes. So, um I can get up a couple of steps, so that building might be all right for me. Um, but unless I've got a toilet in the room, it doesn't make it all right for me. It's, mm. it's just so many. Can I tell you that when I went to that business breakfast, mm-hmm. um, I got asked, what are you doing here? <laughs> um, well, I run a business. I have my own business. Mm-hmm. And surprise. Oh, yeah. you've got your own business. <laughs> you, know, oh, <laughs> yeah. you work. Oh, you work. Mm. Aren't you on a pension? No. Um, <laughs> Um, no, I'm self-sufficient. I, I run a business. It's quite a successful business. And that's an interesting thing too because what is success? For me, it's not money. Mm. Um, it, it, it is to a point. I mean, I've mm. got enough to keep me going and um, mm. travel. Um, but it's about how satisfied you are with your life too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's such an interesting thing, like with the, the, the different in our age and our generations and some of the things that we've experienced about disability has been exactly the same like the responses from other people about things like the assumptions that they make and it's interesting to think that these assumptions still persist until this day like that's ridiculous and it's also too about um the competition between disabilities so um, you have no idea the number of times that I've booked an accessible room and it's been given to somebody in a wheelchair right? because um, because well, they've got, obviously, they can't walk. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't walk once I take my calipers off and I put my crutches down. Mm-hmm. So in order to have a shower, yeah, I need to have an accessible room. You know, it's not a matter of, oh, I just don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet it's assumed that somebody in a wheelchair can't walk. And I know so many people who are in wheelchairs who need those wheelchairs that could actually and do actually walk into the shower because they, they need it for more for distance. So it's not that they can't walk. Um, they cannot um, travel for more mm-hmm. than, you know, a few. If they can wait, walk 10, 10, 10 steps, for example. Mm-hmm. So I can't do that. And yet, you know, sort of it's assumed that because I walk, my disability isn't as severe as yes, yeah, and yet I don't, you know, and and because that's that's I don't consider my disability severe because I can do everything I want to do, but it's just so frustrating. I ring from overseas. I ring up like I was in Rome, and I rang Rome from home before I left and said, "This is exactly what I need. Yes, we can have that. Yes, no problem at all. That's fine. We'll have that ready mm-hmm. for you." Mm-hmm. And when I got there. Um, 
and Leonie, who travels with me, um, she went into the room first and she just backed out and she said, you're not going to like this. Because um, for a start, it was a double bed. And while I love her very much, I really don't want to sleep with her. But it's always assumed that a person with a disability will have a double bed rather than two uh, twin beds. Okay. And then when and then in the shower, it was a, a shower over a bath, right, with handrails. I can't use that. I can't use it at all. And no handrails for the toilet. And yeah, I said, I need a walk-in shower. And anyway, so I came downstairs and I said, look, I can't use that. I really can't use that bathroom. I rang from overseas to make sure that I got what I wanted. So we had this big conversation. Anyway, so Leonie and I were sent up to the roof terrace to drink champagne while they sorted it out. And it took three hours to find a room that suited me, which was an upgrade, which was good. Mm-hmm. But they were quite confused that why wouldn't I have a double bed? Um, so, you know, that's, that's um, an interesting one. I've never, yeah, I've never, I've never thought that of of that before about the double bed and disability. Um, it's just not something that never crossed my mind. So, the, well, I I need to have um, my own bed because I don't sleep very well. Yeah, um, yeah. So if, when Noel and I travel together, I always ask for twin beds. Yeah, because um, yeah. it's what I need. Um, otherwise I'll keep him up all night. And if he moves in the night, he will keep me up all night. Um, but I need, at the same time, I need accessible rooms. I'll tell you a funny story, if you like. So I went to Ireland and I was meeting with politicians in Ireland. So I had to get there um, and I got there at 10 o'clock at night. So I thought, well, I booked myself an accessible cottage, which I stay in every time I go to Ireland. And um, I thought, well, I'll spend the first night in the hotel at the airport because that'll be easier for me. So I rang them and said, this is what I need. No problem at all. So when I get there, it's a shower over a bath with a double bed. I was with Leonie. So I said, "Uh, sorry, don't do a shower over a bath. I need a walk-in shower and I need something to sit on. So I can't have a shower without that. So I've flown 24 hours from Australia. I need to have a shower. I've got meetings in the morning. Anyway, so they finally found us a room with a shower, which had a small step that I could manage, mm-hmm. but didn't have a chair, and it had twin root, twin beds, so that suited me. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so in the end, they they found me a chair, but it was an a purple upholstered upholstered armchair, mm-hmm. right? So I said, I'll just do a top and tail. The politicians will have to do without me having a mm-hmm. proper shower. Yeah, because I would have ended up purple. I would have looked like a smirk meeting <laughs> with the politicians. Yeah, but it's this whole lack of understanding that I probably wouldn't understand what I need. So yeah, uh, we'll just for you. So can I ask? Um, yeah, were they assuming that that your carer would be sleeping in the same bed as you? Was that what they were assuming? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so that's something that I've never heard of. Why would that be? I don't understand that either. Or yeah. maybe they just assume that, that two women travelling together would be partners. Okay, yeah, but, that, that would be but more. But she wasn't my carer, she was my friend. Yeah, okay, so I guess. I, yeah. yeah, so I have to travel with somebody. I can't yeah. do it alone. No. Um, so last year when I was in Africa, I took my niece with me, um, which was fine. And they understood then that we needed twin beds. That, that was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but... You know, I always travel with somebody. Yeah. Start it's more fun, um, but you know, the assumption is that you're going to sleep with the person that you're with, and I don't understand that. You know, 
Okay, and, right. In most, in most cases, if you get an ordinary hotel room, usually you get a, a king size bed that can be split into twin. Yeah. Right. But for some reason, in the disability rooms, they don't. It's like, oh, this is weird. Okay, right. Oh. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Because I guess, like, yeah, I haven't really, um, I've only really travelled with family when I was younger. So that part of it, I sort of, yeah, a bit naive about. Yeah. Um, so what I wanted to do now is that everybody I ask onto the podcast, I ask them to have, um, ask them to write down the 10 things that they love people to know about disability. Oh. So I'm just very eager to know what your 10 things are. Okay. Um, the first one is that people with disabilities have the right to name themselves. So I call myself a woman with a disability, but other, other people call themselves disabled women, and that's their right to do so. Mine is a political statement because I'm not broken, I'm not disabled. Um, and we used to call ourselves, we were, we were labelled as disabled when, when I was younger. That was like a slur. So for me it's quite powerful to say, Actually, I'm a woman with a disability. Mm-hmm. Did you want to unpick these as I go or you're happy for me to just, just my rattle team? them off and, yeah, we'll yeah, see how we go? Okay. Um, so disability is a social construct, right, which is why I say that, so this is my number two, um, it's not about uh, my attitudes, it's about society's attitudes. So society makes me disabled if you like yes so by the barriers that they place in front of me Uh, people with cognitive impairments are really quite smart and by that i mean i've worked with a lot of particularly women with intellectual disabilities who are really able to get to the crux of the situation so they will actually read the documents and they will say to me Third word, in, fifth line down, what does that mean? And I have to really go, oh, hang on, let me think about that. So they're, they're smart. They read stuff. Um, people with disabilities are often underestimated. So assumptions are made about us and what we can and can't do. Um, and sometimes you get a bit tired of actually having to say, well, actually, I can't do that. <laughs> this is not a... um, I hate the term living with a disability. I loathe that term. I'm not living with a disability. I just have one. Get over it. Um, the, the term living with a disability is, used, is a government construct and they use it so that um, our voices are stolen from us by giving it to somebody who lives with somebody with a disability. So they're not living with a person with a disability. They're living with a disability. Um, I don't think they mean it that way, no. but that's how it ends up happening Mm. having a disability is not the end of the world um there's a lot of people who think that's the worst thing that could ever happen to you um i don't think it is uh it's fine it's mm. it is what it is and you'll make your own life Mm -hmm. if you get a disability later on Mm. yeah ableism pervades every area of our life right so um another barrier that society puts up and that comes with the assumptions that go with it or people with disabilities are well no actually I have a t-shirt that says um ableist able bods are weird I, I should have worn that today okay and it was um, it was um, sent to me by a, an activist in the US um who to fund her wheelchair sold these t-shirts and so to help her out I bought one so I have it there so there you go 
So, sorry, so the NDIS are there. So if somebody presents with something, with a level of something, that everybody else with that level of the same thing will get the same funding? Is that what you're saying? No. Okay, so no, they should they don't and they shouldn't. So we sh that's why we, we fought really hard that it wasn't about diagnosis. So what's, what, what are they doing at the moment? Sorry, I'm just trying to get in it's my head. It's on functionality. It's on what you need to participate in society. Okay. So if you just go, so for me, I need, oh, I can't do housework. I need somebody to do my housework. Yeah. No, for me, it really is, I need calipers. I need crutches. Yeah. Um, those are the things I need. I need a bathroom that I can use. Those yeah. are the things that I I don't need um, support somebody to take help me into the community. I don't need somebody to um, take me on outings. I just need, I just need the the physical supports. Right. So, so just so I can clarify, are you saying yep. that they're offer that they're they're saying that you can have these extra things because other people do as well. No, they say oh, sorry. only if you need it, only if you need it. So what okay. they're saying is they okay. assess each person according to what they need. Right. right. But, again, I probably am better off again because I'm articulate and I can say to, say to them, this is what I need. Mm -hmm. I don't need this and this and this and this. Mm -hmm. So um, if I need physiotherapy, okay, you need physiotherapy, but I don't need somebody to take me into society. Mm -hmm. Whereas there might somebody else who has polio may may be more dependent on others to help them participate. You know, mm -hmm. they might need somebody to take them to an event. They might need somebody. They might have a communication difficulty, for example. Mm -hmm. They might need somebody to help them with their communication skills or a speech pathologist. Although I see a speech pathologist, so I don't know why I said that. Um, so, but it, it's it's based on the person. So, for example, um, you know, if you've got somebody who's got cerebral palsy, mm -hmm. um, two people with cerebral palsy won't need the same support. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And if you yeah. think of uh, your diagnosis, you know, people that have got um, higher needs than you do. Mm -hmm. and you've got people who have lesser needs than you do so yeah. it should be based around what you need and also the, the the other thing is that we're not all the same I mean that's the other part of that so um you know people with disabilities don't all share the same opinion yes right? apparently we're supposed to I mean I've had people say to me well the last person we spoke to with a disability didn't say that well that last person with a disability wasn't me yes uh, exactly started, yeah <laughs> Man, so we didn't understand the gender nature of disadvantage, perhaps, you know, sort of all those sorts of things. Mm. Um, my final one is that COVID-19 has actually benefit, benefited some people with disabilities mm -hmm. because we're adaptable, we're agile, we're able to change what's needed. And let's face it, there are so many people who have been saying, let me work from home. Mm -hmm. um, and we've been told, oh, you can't do that. Good yeah. Lord, no, we can't do that. And now we are, you know. Yeah. I've been working from home since, I haven't left home since the 13th of March, except for medical stuff and to yeah. walk on the golf course. Um, I did go to the first coffee shop the other day mm -hmm. uh, since March and and that was when everybody else had gone home and it was just before they closed and the outside eating area was completely empty. So I went out there and I had a champagne and a coffee and a muffin. And it was the first time since March that I'd done that. 
So, um, you know, I, I think we're, we're able to say, you know, learn from us. Mm-hmm. We're, we're pretty good people. Um, we, we know what, what we can do and what we can't do. So they're my 10 things. I hope they've been useful. They're very interesting because like, there are so many things in there that I certainly hadn't thought of. Um, I want to just, uh, uh, sorry, I've got the NDIS thing stuck in my head. Just That's fine. I'm happy to talk about Yeah, I've got that. So um, obviously, I mean, yeah, I'm on the NDIS side, but I don't know too much about it from, I guess, from so, someone like yourself who's sort of been, uh, been like studying all this stuff for, for, eight, for, for decades. Um so are you are you saying that what the model that they have is good or bad? That's what I'm trying to get my head in. Good, good. Better good. than the old system. So in the old ah, system. Ah, right, okay. Yeah. So under the, under the old system, um, the, there was never enough money to cover what people needed. Right. right. Was, so people got um, told you've got $20,000, but it didn't come to you. It wasn't in your name. It was given to the service provider. The service provider paid all the wages and all the rest of it, and what was left was put into um, group sessions. Like So everybody went bowling on a Thursday, right? You might get three showers a week. You know, So I've, I've known people who um, had to stay in bed for, for, for days at a time because there wasn't the funding to help them out of bed. This is a much better system. Nice. I was one of those ones that stood on street corners carrying banners demanding that we get the NDIS up. It's not perfect. Mm-hmm. not saying that by a long shot, um, but it's certainly far better than what we had before. Right. Okay. Um, I mean, considering I had nothing before, I was always, I bought my own calipers and things, you know. Yeah. Sort of. But the one I've got on now is 13 years old. Yeah. It's well past the Tuesday date. It cost me $6,500. For the, I've had an application into the NDIS for two years for a new one which they are still assessing. Um, so, you know, sort of if I don't have a caliper, I can't walk. If I can't walk, I want to go mm. get a chair. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I, I'm actually better placed to be able to walk where I want to go because I actually like walking, mm. believe it or not. I mean, yeah. I know I'm going to go into a chair eventually, but yeah. until I do, I want to keep walking. Yeah. So there's, there's a whole lot of faults with the system. Um, we're still working out the bugs. We still have some people who get more funding than they should. Right. Um, and I'll, I'll claim it now that I reckon um, some of the stuff around autism is overfunded. It's almost because it's all it's new, so it's fashionable. Okay. Um, you know, I think the diagnostic tools for autism are wrong, um, that it's based around the male person with autism rather than um, modelling you know, on what females with autism have because they're not diagnosed till they're in their 30s and 40s, so they miss out on the early intervention stuff. I reckon it's great that we've got early intervention, but the whole basis of it should be about helping people to live an ordinary life, which is what it's supposed to be. But I just don't think that it's around that. Right. Um, there's some really good people working in the NDIS mm-hmm. NDIA. Um, there's people with disabilities who are really informing them, but which is great. Um, but you know, I, compared to what we had, this is much, much, much better. Yeah, and I think that's where, it, like, that's where um, my naivety comes into it because I didn't have anything prior to the NDIS. Um, 
even though I've like I've got spina bifida, I'm a wheelchair user, and that hasn't that's always been the case since I was born. Um, I just didn't even know these things existed. Um, and it wasn't until at one point when I got ill in my tw- my twenties or late twenty mid twenties, early thirties. And then, yeah, being asked by uh, um, my, do- my doctor at the time, a specialist, who's your case manager? What's a case manager? And then I, and that I was like, okay, so what's, yeah, so I had to learn all this new stuff. Um, and then I found out about these particular things, these packages, which I didn't yeah, know anything about. And I remember going through the application process and the person who was doing the application process didn't want to, didn't want to meet me. Um, because and now I understand why because I'm he, I, I obviously if he met me and this, I hope this doesn't sound bad but I, it was I wouldn't be disabled enough and I think it is that base would you would, does that ring true to you from what you know about those no, packages I prefer I actually prefer that people meet people um, and I certainly would prefer to meet people face to face because you can't have the conversations, and it's not about what you look like. No, but like, That's do you think, thing. like, from your, from your knowledge about like pre NDIS um, packages and set etc., was, um, it, was it based on was it based on stereotypes of people, or was it based on actual? But no, it was definitely based, it was based on diagnosis, really. Right, because yeah, I found it really interesting because this person didn't want to meet me at all, um, and so the, the and we, and my mother was child at the time. Yeah, no, look, that's fine. She'll get it because she's got the needs, uh, and it, it got rejected because because at the time they said that I worked too much, and it wasn't was until later on that I found out. Actually, it's not even income tested. So for me, it was just like it was an introduction into this whole disability thing. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So for me, yeah, sorry, go ahead. So this isn't about how much. In fact, the idea of this is that if you've got the support you need, you'll be able to work more. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. It's a ridiculous thing for them to say or Mm. just to assume. I mean, you know, I've always worked. I've always worked. That may, but I didn't know that. I didn't know all these supports were available, and it was only when I started working for police and I started to research because it became part of my job that I went, "Oh, I didn't know that was available. Oh, I didn't know that was available." Like there's a there's a free polio clinic, right? The only one in Australia, which is based at St Vincent's Hospital, I didn't know about that. <laughs> and that when I went there. Um, they were amazed that I'd managed so long without, because I went 20 years without calipers. Mm-hmm. Because when I was 16, they said, give these away. You don't need these anymore. You're cured. Well, I wasn't, but, mm-hmm. you know, I limped. But as I got older, I got post-polio syndrome and I, I, could, I couldn't walk, you know. But I, so I was struggling. And, you know, once I went there, and it was funny because the doctor who ran the polio clinic was the doctor I had seen as an infant. Mm-hmm. And he was still doing it. And he had had polio. So, which was interesting too. Um, so there I was, and um, all of a sudden I was back in calipers and, 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 and on crutches, and I felt so liberated. You have no idea. It was like I can I can keep going for longer now, um, and I feel that way now. You know, if I get my new caliper at the NDIS finally gets its act together and mm-hmm. actually approves my funding, I'll be able to keep going for longer. 
because mm-hmm. I've got no intention of retiring. I just enjoy what I do. And I think, um, you know, I, I, my, my big thing is that, that I hope that um, young people um, step up too. Um, they don't have to be me. I don't want anybody to be me. God, that would be awful, wouldn't it? Imagine two of me in the world. Um, but I want people to, to, to think that they can um, be the next generation of activists, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, you know, I'm not one of the, the really brave ones who tie themselves to trams or anything like that. Um, but I hope I, I hope I have a voice, you know, that, that I can take the issues um, and but there's so many young people who are so much smarter than me. I know a young 19-year-old girl who's running her own business. She has a disability and she's so smart. And, you know, I said to her, I wish I was as smart as you when I was your age because she really is um, really smart. And she said, you know, she's, and we did a course and she was on the course and she said to me, this is the first place where I felt really safe to be me. And it was because everybody on the course had a disability. Right. Um, the, the, um, the Good Incubator Entrepreneurs Program. So it's a program that we've been running for entrepreneurs with disabilities. And it was safe for her to be there because nobody started saying, so tell us about your disability, right? Mm-hmm. I don't need to know what your disability is. It's not, you know, I, I'm happy to tell everybody. I'm happy to tell people my story. But people expect you to disclose stuff to them, you know, so tell me about your legs. Why do you need to know about my leg? I've actually been to the doctors with a, with a, a migraine where they've said, oh, tell me about the calipers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it's this bit that's not working, not that bit. You know. So it's about that whole thing, you know, the safe mm. spaces for us. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, thank you very much for chatting today. It's been very interesting. Um, I'm just wondering, where can people, do you, I know you're on LinkedIn, um, but what about any other spaces where people might be able to read some stuff you've done? Or, um, oh, I'm in, in the you? process of, I'm in the process of building a website at the moment, um, and that should be ready soon. Um, so maybe when I get that, I might send that to you and you can tell people about it. But people are always, I'm always happy for people just to do a Google search on me. Mm-hmm. I do that every so often and I find out all sorts of things about myself that I didn't know. <laughs> um, so, you know, sort of I, I found out that I'm actually published in the Congress of uh, the Library of Congress. And I thought, well, how did that happen? But anyway, so it's all sorts wow. of things like that. Um, I'm also in the, um, the archives of the National Library, apparently. So, which I forgot, I forget, you know, because I've been around so long, you forget. Um, just just Google me. Um, and I'm always happy if people want to contact me too. Um, so I'm happy to give my email address out, um, which is T-M-A-L-O-W-N-E-Y at gmail.com. Um, and I, I do charge for my services, but I do a fair bit of pro bono work too. Um, for people who really need just some quick advice. So I can do that as well. So can I, um, just talking about your work quickly, just to give that a bit of a plug, uh, what kind of work do you actually do for um, for people? Well, um, I've helped families with getting access to the NDIS. Um, These are usually pro bono. They're usually people at their last 
on their last legs. Mm-hmm. I help women with disabilities to leave family violence, but also provide advice to government and non-government agencies. That's my paid work. And I also um, do facilitation and workshopping and mentoring and coaching as mm-hmm. well. So I, I help people get onto boards. I'm on a couple of boards myself, and so I know the ropes. So I'm always happy to help out with that. But if anybody just needs some advice as to where to go, and the other thing I'm really good at is connecting people to other people. Mm-hmm. So if you ring me and I haven't got the answer, I'll help you find it. And so my, my byline is if you have a problem, I can help you find a solution. Yeah, I love that. I saw that on LinkedIn. Absolutely love it. Well, thank you again for uh, coming on today. And if anybody has any questions um, about today, just leave them in the comments. Um, This will be available on YouTube uh, as well as all Spotify and um, Apple uh, podcasts and also Google podcasts, so all three. And, uh, yeah, so basically, as I said, uh, leave your comments um, below if you if you have any questions for either myself or for Trisha, and if you would like to see somebody else appear in this podcast in the future. Otherwise, thank you for tuning in and let us know what you've thought of the episode today. All right, thank you.